Uh, but with that being said, and with that being said, we good. And with that being said, with that being said, I'm really thankful I, I got that chance to go play at K State. With that being said, I am. Uh, Now, with that being said. All right, guys, welcome aboard to our Five is One podcast. And with that being said, and uh, this is a special one because uh, I've got a, uh, a fellow offensive lineman that um, goes to the same barber as me. And uh, <laughs> we... Uh, we were around the same age, and um, he's got a great view of the XFL since he was one of the uh, sideline reporters and commentators with the league. So we've got Cole Kublik uh, on the show this week. And, Cole, it's awesome to have you on, man. Appreciate your time and uh, insight on the league. Absolutely, Jonathan. Always always glad to be on with you, man. Really enjoyed our relationship going back for a while. And um, obviously the line community makes it pretty easy, but um, – it's been pretty cool to follow your success as well. So congratulations again on another title. I appreciate it, man. It was a, I wanted to ask you about that because you covered our championship game, uh, the XFL championship that was held in uh, the Alamo Dome just uh, a couple weeks ago. And I noticed when you said, hey, I'm going to cover your game, but you were on the other sideline. Did you have yeah. any insight to that? Or was it just because we were such underdogs you were you were going to watch from the other side and watch it just fall apart, man? Um, it, honestly, the only reason that it was was that I had D.C. the two previous weeks. And so it was kind of like, why get away from that? It's working. Like I had I had developed a pretty good relationship with Greg Williams and Coach Barlow kind of was trusting me and, and kind of had an idea when I wanted to talk to them. And I had gotten to know Tiamu and Derek King a little bit and you know, had some conversations with them and the times that I had you guys was much earlier in the year. And I think Katie had you guys more recently. So that was usually kind of how we did it is we, we tried to stay on the same sideline that we had had. And then if it was two that we didn't have, it was kind of a coin flip and I had been with DC. So that was really, that was about it uh, as far as the, the decision. Cause honestly I had, you know, I've got you over there and uh, you know, I knew coach Stoops before the XFL and, you know, a couple of players over there from the SEC that I had pretty good relationships with. So it wasn't that I wasn't going to be able to have guys to talk to or be able to find good conversations. It was just, you know, recency bias, I guess. No, it, that, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, you had us early in the year and uh, a couple of our first games at uh, Choctaw Stadium in Arlington. And I would have to say that we were probably one of the worst football teams that I've ever been a part of, man. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was pretty rough going early on in the season. And we were still trying to figure out who we were, what our identity was and the roster movement with the XFL um, really changed for us. And we all know that the, the position that, that really got us on the right track was the quarterback position. And we got Luis Perez uh, in a trade from Las Vegas and, uh, I think he really righted the ship and and you had a view of the league um, this whole season. Kind of from your standpoint, what was your evaluation of the season, how things went, how it culminated uh, with the championship game and just how much things can change in a shortened season like that? Yeah, it's um, 
when you think about a guy that that threw you guys the football a couple of times and ha- played a big hand in helping you win that first game that we had, and then he's quarterbacking your team to help you guys go get a championship. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in football and since I've been around it at any level. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's really cool because we talk so much, Jonathan, at, uh, at all these levels of football, of, well, it's quarterback-driven. you got to have a quarterback. And actually, McElroy and I were talking about this on our show this morning in Birmingham, and he – he made a statement that I've, I've never really heard anybody say it this way, but to hear a quarterback say it, I thought it was really cool. He said, the more you build your team around the quarterback and the more that he is the focal point of a team, the softer you become. And when you start thinking about teams at different levels of football, even though the quarterback might be the leader or might be the most productive, some of those great teams, whether it's the Patriots, whether it's the Chiefs right now, like, it wasn't just about that guy. Like you had to have him, but it wasn't, okay, we go as far as he goes. There are other pieces that can, we can win with defense. We can win running the football. We can win with receivers. We can win with tight ends. We win because we block well, special teams, whatever it is. And I just never heard anybody say it that way. But especially in college football right now, you look at that's really accurate in a lot of places. And then I think that early on in the XFL, it was, Okay, well, if you got a quarterback that can get it, like you're going to win. That's just that. That's that's what it's going to be. Right. And then, I mean, you look at look at St. Louis, for example. Like AJ was fantastic, but it wasn't. Let's see how many times AJ can throw the ball every game. Like that wasn't what it was. And I thought you hear a lot about buy-in, and you know that's what I saw with Luis when he came in with with Arlington was someone who. I think there's two sort of phrases, football terms that we use, buy-in and fit. And I thought he was a great fit for what you guys wanted to do. Like, he understood the ball needs to get out on time. Like, it's it's got to be out. There's not We can't look and try to figure something out. It's just not going to work that way. Um, and I, I do think the feeling out process was something that was very interesting because certain teams were very different early than they were late. And I think it's unfortunate certain teams got caught trying to be something that then due to injuries, you weren't going to be able to replace it. I mean, like you look at look at San Antonio, you know, you get multiple quarterbacks banged up, you lose half your offensive line, and you lose your starting tailback, even though you had another good one. Like, you're not finding those guys. You're just – you're not. So, again, that goes back to not necessarily being over-dependent on one facet of your football team where – like, I thought you guys' defense was totally different later in the year than it was early in the year. Uh, could be much more aggressive, could be a little bit more high risk because you trusted other parts of it. Obviously, you guys, the offensive line developed and was a massive part of who you were late. You guys, that first game I watched, I was like, oh, shit, I don't know if Jaime's going to really – I don't know what these guys are going to be. It didn't look good. But then all right. of a sudden, you, you can get rid of the football – you can run some different formations. You move Canelo around a little bit, force defenses defend you a certain way. And it's like, oh, now we can run the football because we're not facing this front every time. Right. So I, I did think it was a feeling out process of, okay, what for a lot of teams, what can we be? What are we capable of being? What might we be able to grow into? And then just finding the right fits, like you said. Um you know, I thought D.C. was aided greatly by running what I would reference more as a college offense than a pro offense, if we're just going to use very generic terms. But you also saw stopping points with that, where there's probably a reason that you don't see that offense in the NFL a whole lot, is that once you see it a few times, okay, 
we'll make this adjustment. We'll catch up here, and that's what it's going to be. But all in all, I thought the football was really good. I mean, we had we didn't have a blowout. Every game was competitive, every single game, and that obviously makes it more compelling. That makes it more interesting, and it was a lot of fun, man. All the coaches were a blast to work with. Players were great to work with. I, it almost got to the point where we didn't believe people, but every head coach would say, I've never been around guys just more thankful for an opportunity. I've never been around guys just more appreciative of playing football. And it's like once you got to week six and you're still hearing that, and then you get to week eight you're still hearing that, you're like, oh, this is probably real. And then the players you did talk to, just whether it was comparative or whether it was you know certain things that they got or how they were treated, you could tell that there was a real appreciation for just being a part of something that was coming back and something that was going to try to be built in a little bit of a different way. I think so. And, and you know, you, you talk about the players being appreciative, and I know the staff is too. I mean, just to have the opportunity, like I've coached 25 years and I've done my stints in the Alliance of American Football. And I was in the USFL a year ago, and I've done the Canadian Football League for eight years, and I've coached college ball, power five to group of five. I was a junior college coach, a high school coach. But when you say these are pro guys that are right on the cusp, I mean, I have players that have four or five years of NFL experience that are playing in the league, and they're just continuing to chase their dream. But as coaches, to just be able to coach ball and be around guys that love being there, uh, because they're really um, extending their careers. But you look at at some of the quotes that that Bob had, Coach Stoops, there was no compliance meetings. You didn't have academic meetings. You didn't have to worry about, you know, recruiting and writing letters and visits and transfer portals. You're just coaching ball. And I think yeah. that's what the pure joy of what this league is and what these spring leagues are, because people are just so hungry for ball. So real quick, just to um, follow up, Cole, you were part of the league in 2020 before the pandemic, how this yeah. has changed, how much the, uh, um, I guess, the TV production, but also the product on the field. What have you seen that's really changed in the last couple of years? Has it improved? Has it just kind of picked up where it left off last time? I think there's a lot of it that picked up where it left off. Um, you know, I thought the the quality of football is pretty similar. I I would, I would probably lean a little bit better this time around. Um, I thought the atmospheres were even better. I think St. Louis got a small taste of what it was going to be like last time, and they ramped it up. You know, we didn't get to Arlington last time. I didn't to see what it was like, and I thought there were some good crowds there. Obviously, you know, that stadium in D.C. is perfect for this. It was great last time. It was great this time. So I think a couple of the fans in those fan bases had you know, a little bit of a taste and an appetizer, and then now they got a full season, and they were just that much more jacked up. Um, from the production side of it, uh, very similar. I do think there is a little more emphasis on, on l- let's not try to be overly negative. Let's try to avoid a lot of the extremely negative things, if at all possible. Sometimes that stuff's going to happen, you know? And then, and I thought there were also, there are great examples this time where somebody threw an interception or had a fumble or gave up a sack. And it's just the explanation of it doesn't always have to be negative. Sometimes it can be, hey, I should have seen that guy coming up. We didn't have enough numbers to be able to pick that up. We'll get that repaired next time. And it's really not a big deal. Um, I know some of the other stuff is going to make a lot more noise, but it just felt like we had a better understanding of, you know, hey, let's try not to allow these guys to throw each other under the bus because of the we're in the middle of the game still. Like, there's still football. And so, you know, that's, that's one thing that I struggle with a lot of times. I mean, you know me, 
Jonathan, I, I want to focus on ball. Like, I want to know why that combo block didn't work. Like, I want to know what, what coverage you saw that led you check into that run. But there's also a part of these guys that a lot of people don't know who they are. Right. And we want to try to explain to people why you should fall in love with this story. Like, why is it cool that this guy's here? Why is he even here in the first place? You know, whether it's his kid or his dad passed away and he wants to live that legacy or this is just one more played eight years in the NFL. Just I just want to play football one more time like this. I know this is probably it, but I get to go out and compete with my boys. And so uh, I thought the storytelling was a little bit better this time around, but I don't think the production was too much different. And I thought the level of football and maybe it's just like we were talking about. Once we got to the end of the road, a lot of teams had figured different things out and we didn't have that chance in the last time I was doing it. But I did think the quality of ball was a little bit better. Yeah, I agree. I, I really think people um, had a little bit more broader scope of things. There was a good mix of pro style offenses and then to see where things evolved to have some RPOs, to have some QB run game, to to have a little bit more to make defenses have to cover the whole field and defend the yeah. whole field and to see all the different pressure packages that people would bring on defense. I mean, you said your relationship with Greg Williams and, you know, there's something along those lines of simulated pressure, but they're actually playing a lot of coverage and to keep people on their toes to know that, hey, pressure could be coming anytime. And when you watch the evolution of this league, you see a lot of that as you watch a full season. As we had two weeks to prep for our um, for our championship game, we had just played D.C. in week nine. So it wasn't really that much that we had to prep for. We watched their yeah. end of season. We watched their first round. And it was like, hey, we know what we called. We know what we did right. We know what we did wrong. And make those quick adjustments. And it's a really small, intimate league. And I think that's what people really liked about it. You could get to know people on a real quick, uh, even if you're just watching from a fan standpoint, to get a feel because you guys did such a great job of creating um, more of a feel for getting to know who these guys are, where they're from. People may have recognized the names from playing in college or maybe had some time in the NFL. Um, and I just wanted to see kind of your take because you're down in Birmingham. And that's really where I spent a lot of my time a year ago coaching in the USFL. And I wanted to get your take on maybe opinions good and bad of either the XFL and the USFL because you've got a chance to see what the Birmingham Stallions have done with that being the hub city last year for the USFL when we're down there. I guess just your take on the calendar, what's happening with the level of play. And I know we're, we're both working for the XFL. We're both working for ESPN and Disney, but just your view of it because you're right down in the thick of it in SEC territory where everybody loves ball just your take on both leagues and, and how it's good and bad right now. I think you see that with the stallion support when, when they play and the attendance compared to all the other teams is totally different. Right. Um, this is a, this is a football hungry football, crazy, like football mad city. It's one of the reasons I, I love being on the air here at WJOX and I want to do it as long as I have the mental capacity to do it. You know, I want to be that old gruff man on the radio talking about, you know, when I used to stay in there, Coach Saban on the sideline, like I want to be that old guy. Like just that's I'm going to ride it out as long as I can because we can talk college football, spring football, NFL every single day of the calendar year and nobody cares. Like they love it. They eat it up. Um, there are a couple of differences, though, that I – I mean, I'll just say this out of the gate. 
and Sam Schwartzstein last time around was the one that was responsible for it. I don't know how the XFL kickoff rule has not been implemented at every level of football. Um, I have my theories on why it hasn't. Uh, I think a lot of people don't want to do things that are not their idea. Right. Like one of my one of my best friends in this world who is super successful, Conrad Thompson, does wrestling podcasts and owns a mortgage company in Birmingham. Like one of the coolest quotes he ever told me is, if you ever want to get something done, make that person feel like it's their idea. And I feel like that's what's holding that rule back because a couple of things. Like we're get we're, there are people when the NFL changed their kickoff rule, Jonathan, you can go find a list of tweets that people said, just get it out of here. Right. Just go ahead and get rid of it already. Just get it done. What, what do we want to do? Do we want to say, hey, uh, what time are we putting the ball in the 20 this week? Nobody wants that. Like, that's, a, that's how our game starts. Like, that is, that is what we all feel in love with, kickoff. What time does the game kick? Like, we love the anticipation that comes with the kickoff. So we get to keep that. Then we get to take all the dangerous stuff out of it and all those high-speed collisions out. And we also – still have the capability of a big return, explosive play, which is super exciting. And what do we have, one, maybe two in the XFL this year? There weren't many, but you have the chance of that, which is awesome. So I don't know how that hasn't been picked up at every level because it eliminates so many concerns and keeps so much of the good. That part they absolutely have right. That challenge rule this year, when I first heard it, I was kind of like, eh, okay, like right. maybe that'll be cool, maybe it won't. That was freaking awesome. Yep. The fact, and, and I'm going to tell you, like, from my perspective and our perspective of being able to hear a lot of the coaches, the coolest part, and I actually asked Heinz Ward about it in-game one time, I'm like, I need you to take me through the decision-making process, mainly of not challenging things, because you could hear him having conversations with himself, like, and he wanted to, and then he didn't, or he's asking guys, and he couldn't make himself do it. That part of it was, like, the anticipation of, they can challenge this, they've got it, Okay, they didn't, or right. they have to challenge that. Okay, they're going to go do it. So, you know, I know Belichick's been pushing for that in the NFL. That ended up being 10 times better than I ever imagined. And I didn't think it was going to be dumb, but I guess we've never really seen it. So, we don't know how it's going to work out. That was incredible. I loved it. Um, you know, I do, I do, one thing I appreciate about what we do, and, and this is a little bit of compare and contrast between the USFL, is I feel like they allow us to be much more aggressive. Um, you know, and I think, I think Stoops even gave me a hard time, uh, cause I grabbed one of your guys in the end zone that first game, like right after he scored, like when I saw him a couple games later, like Booger McFarland texted me and he's like, dude, you can't horse collar a kid for an interview. Cause I was grabbing him, trying to pull him back. Uh, yeah. and like Heinz Ward gave me a hard time. He's like, I saw you on film, like jumping in there with our guy, right. When he scored, I appreciate the fact that they let us be a little bit more aggressive, like grab a guy right after a play, talk to a kicker right before a kick, like. That's just stuff you're not going to get anywhere else. And, you know, pushing the envelope a little bit, I just I think it, it makes it a little bit more entertaining. It gives people a little bit something to look forward to, takes you to a place you've never been as a fan. So I, I, I love that part of it as well. So uh, it's, you know, I, I feel like the USFL has done a really nice job. I think they market it well. Obviously, there's some, there's some nostalgia branding that goes along with that. My dad took me to Stallions games when I was a kid. <laughs> Like, seriously, I mean, he'll tell you about Joe Cribs and, and the guys playing for the, for the Birmingham Stallions back in 80, whatever it was. And I was just a little kid. We went to Legion Field. Um, but I, I had all the gear and everything when I was little. I didn't know what it was, but I had it. So I do think that they're, they're aided by having some of that, just like the XFL is aided by 
you know, the franchises that were around previously, obviously those fans and different people are into it, but it's, um, I, you brought up something a minute ago that I've always thought about. And I was on the field before the first USFL game. And yeah, I remember you telling me like, we didn't tackle anyone to the ground it, through the entire camp. And then right. what you just said, you know, two weeks to get ready for this XFL season. That's the part that I just don't think people understand the difficulties that come with how limited you are going into a season. And so you got to lower the expectations just a tad when, when, it, when guys hadn't been together, hadn't played together. And then when the amount of time they have had together is that small, that short, it's going to be tough. So, you know, one thing that I did wish that the XFL took from the last time around the 2.0 is I think it was team nine, the extra team that they had. Um, because I talked to guys like you, I talked to Heinz Ward. We talked to Anthony Beck. There were just moments where you lose two, three players in a certain position and they're not there. Guys have already signed with the USFL guys are training for their, you know, go back to the NFL and you've already had guys in it's just, it. That's a tough spot to go find people. And to have guys that you know are right there working on fundamentals, you know, conditioning, not going to be a problem, physicality, going to be ready, have an understanding, and you can plug and go. I just think that would have been a super valuable resource this year. And maybe that's something that could come back. But that, that was one of the big differences that I noticed that I think maybe the league could benefit from in the future that wasn't there this year. Yeah, I think being able to plug in players that are ready to go, that because it's really a quick turnaround with small rosters, not having guys on quote unquote practice squad. And we're really trying to plug it in and get it ready to go. Yeah. And so when you do lose a couple guys, like you talked about San Antonio, Pete Mangurian, who I have the utmost respect with, I think he lost six offensive linemen he did. this year. I mean, it's it's incredible with what they did. I mean, they were a field goal away from being in the playoffs where credit to it was actually it was against you guys and i was talking to their sid i'm like okay make sure i'm right here and there was only one guy who started the right. first game that was starting that game and i'm just like you said how do you you can't manage that i mean no. especially with guys uh dc went and got a kid who was working at a toyota dealership to come you know be a backup running back it's, right i think i think that was something that the league could greatly benefit from down the road no, there's no doubt. And be able to just develop players and you don't have the time and having a system and a language that yeah. players are able to understand and be able to go let their talents show on the field. The last thing you want is a guy having to study and cram the night before to try to figure out your terminology. So I think people learn you can't have these long, extensive play calls and have all these can systems that you're changing plays based on fronts and looks. You kind of have to have what are your answers for pressure? And it became spreading the ball all around the field and making the defense maybe play on their heels rather than the offense try to adjust to what so many defenses are doing. Right. And, you know, just in your opinion, you've been around the game your whole life. You've seen it. Uh, you, you played in the top conference. You cover it down there. You've seen the league. You're, you're covering the, the, the XFL. In your opinion, what makes a great offensive line? Just the, this is always focused. My my training company, Five is One, we, we try to develop and help kids really maximize their talent. But what makes a great offensive line, in your opinion? Cool. If I was only able to pick one thing, 
it would be continuity because I think, you know, it, it was funny. Uh, I have a quote that I remember hearing from the Houston defense this year covering XFL, which I had never heard before. And it was, if all 11 of us are wrong, we're right. Essentially meaning the entire field will be covered if we're all doing the same thing, even if it's not the thing that I called. Very similar with the offensive line. If, if we're all working in unison, it's going to get it. It's going to work itself out. It's going to figure itself out. And that goes further into, okay, does the center understand which guard is more susceptible to an inside move? Okay. You might not need to help with that one, go help with the three because he's got a chance of getting beat inside here. When to not come off a combo block, when to stay, like when, when you think your back's going to hit it backside based on how a front's lined up. If the linebackers are playing fast over the top, you know, that guard's probably going to leave you. So like, you got to get in there right away like you can't slow play this thing you got to go and then just the communication like you know I can remember we switched offenses when I was in college and we went to we went to zone scheme inside outside zone in an old Mazzoni and it was totally different we were mainly an isolation run team the year before that and so year one it was kind of shitty like it was but year two it was like oh my god this is the best thing we've ever done but also year two what happened was as a center I didn't have to make every single call. And sometimes a guard would make a call and I would just let it ride because we had that trust between one another. And there were also times in which I would I could make a call at the last second and those guys knew we trust him. Like they didn't have to hear the call and then evaluate the front or whatever they had playing over them or what else what else was happening outside and then decide, okay, cool, we're going to do that. Like year one, there was kind of some talk back. Like, no, 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 we can't fan that here. It's like, no, we call fan. We're fanning it. Right. Year two, it was like, okay, call fan. We just fan it. Like that was it. That was the end of the deal. So that goes along with continuity as well. That trust, the communication, not having to have as much communication. And people hear that and they're like, well, hold on. Why would you communicate less? Well, no, it's it's not necessarily less. It's it's more effective communication in that not everything has to be explained. So that's whatever you want to call it, chemistry, continuity, feel, togetherness, that to me is the most important thing because that can make up for not having a bunch of Quentin Nelsons or not having a Chris Samuels or a Willie Anderson. Like you can work around the other stuff if everybody knows what you're doing and probably more important why you're doing it. Because that's And that's where – I think that's left out, and that's where you had the luxury of not having to do some of those other things like Bob said. That's what I think is missing from college football now more than when you and I played is just the conceptual learning of, you know, hey, yeah, we're going to run three-quarter slide here. Okay, cool. We know that, like, right guard left is going to take one step to the left. Why are we doing that? And, like, I didn't learn until much later in my college career about safety rotation and, you know, overloaded fronts and different things like that. Like, I could always tell you, okay, this is an even front. This is the mic. We're going to block this. We're responsible for this, 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 whatever. But past that, which told the entire story, like, I knew a lot of the chapters. I didn't know the entire book. And so I think a lot of that is being left out. And when you get a group that can operate that way, and then that trust comes with it where, all right, we're playing in Baton Rouge at night. You're not going to hear everything. You just aren't. You have to trust what one guy says or what we've learned. Like, know it yourself for a couple of plays. You're just going to have to. So, I think – I mean, I can remember 
And that goes a little bit past the offensive line. Like I can remember quarterbacks coming up and asking me, like, what do you think? And I'm like, leave it on, leave it on. And then we run it. You know, having a quarterback that trusts that group and doesn't always have to be, oh, I have the final say in everything. Like sometimes we know what we're capable of better than you know what we're capable of. So it's got to be continuity, number one. Like after that, I would just say it, it's got to be effort. And that doesn't mean playing five seconds past the whistle. Do I love that? Do I appreciate that? Yes. Am I always going to appreciate that? Absolutely. But it's just, if you got guys that are giving it everything and just fighting their asses off, you're, you can make some hay with that. Like you're going to be able to figure it out. And so give me guys that are together that want to play together, want to help each other. And then give me guys that just play hard, that will just grind it out on a consistent basis we're going to figure something out. Like, we're going to be able to go. Like, yeah, does it help to get some first-round draft picks in there, some people that can move some people or, you know, tackles who can change direction and not open their hips or whatever? Like, yeah, it's, it's all great. But you give me continuity and effort, we'll find some yards. We'll, yeah, we'll figure some yards out. 100% agreement, man. Just and as we try to put rosters together and you try to find guys that, you know, it's, it's like you're putting an all-star team together. And – I went with guys that I had familiarity with. I had Cam Hunt that played for me in the USFL and we won a championship yeah. the year before. And I knew he was really close with Jarrett McGinn, who was in the USFL playing for Mike Riley, who I have a ton of respect for. And Mike was one of my offense coordinators when I played at USC. And so those two were two of my early picks. And then Brian Folkers, who had played for me uh, in the Alliance of American Football when that was still around, he had been coaching. And he's a little bit older, six years in the NFL. And he kind of was my coach within the unit, within the group. And once we started gelling, once things started happening, I just looked around at our room. They were running the meetings. Yeah, and They were in there with Luis. And it was really cool to see a guy like Luis Perez, our quarterback, that would come in and he's putting coaches hours in. And it kind of pulled everybody in to stay a little later. They're doing a little bit more protection meeting. They're looking at coverage. And it's not just, what do I do on this play? If you look outside the box, you're a much better player. And I found that out myself when I played in the first XFL. I had bounced around. I had done a, a little bit of time in the NFL. I was doing my cup of coffee. I'd get released. I wasn't the biggest guy in the world. And I was a little bit beat up. So I went and I was a graduate assistant for John Robinson, who was my coach at USC. He took the head job at UNLV. And I was a graduate assistant there for a year. And when you start breaking down film as a GA, as a grad assistant, you see so much more of the back end. And that made me a better player. I went back and played in the original XFL after being a GA for a year. And I was a much better player. Yeah. I was like, geez, if I'd have only known this and I was just getting a little bit too old and long in the tooth to, to play as long as I could, but guys like Brian Folker, it's guys that have been around. It was a credit to them and a guy like Luis Perez who'd been in multiple NFL camps and has had success in all the spring leagues. It was really cool to see. And you talk about continuity and just buy-in. Those were, I think the, the key components to create the success that we did that we had late in the season. I think we were playing some of the best ball in the last two games of, of the playoffs. Now I know we, we took our sweet time getting there. It was pretty yeah. early, early on, um, but continuity is, is the biggest thing. And speaking the unspoken language on the offensive line, sometimes it's not really a call. It's just, you know, because you prepared and you've seen those looks and Absolutely. that's when you know you you're it's, it's cranking. 
and the guys are, are almost finishing each other's sentences that when you watch film and you put up a still and say, hey, what are our calls here? And they know when to flip protections before the quarterback even has to say anything. Um, just in kind of wrapping up kind of your opinion um, of where the game is going and how spring football is evolving the game, not only at the collegiate level with giving guys more opportunities, do you see some of these things as you talked about the rules potentially getting implemented into i know the nfl is talking about their new kickoff rule being able to call for a fair catch do you see eventually some of this i mean i know some of the major power five conferences are talking about what the xfl is doing just access wise that there's going to be a lot more in-game interviews just having an insider's view of it some of these things are creeping into into fall ball, and it's happening in the NFL. I mean, you see the camera angles all over the place. You see the sideline interviews. Do you see kind of the experimental part of spring football really giving an opportunity for the game to grow in the fall at all levels? Absolutely. And, and I think what it's proven, be it USFL or XFL, there is an appetite for it in the spring. Um you know, we were doing 2.0, you know, we were doing about a million a game uh, before it got shut down because of COVID. And then, you know, this this year, I thought the numbers were solid. A couple of games over a million, a lot of games really close. Um, but I think, too, you you experimented with some different networks. You saw what the difference is going to be there. Uh, but, but people love football year round. I think there's enough of an appetite for it. You brought up calendar early. That's another area that I think the XFL had a big win against the USFL is to allow guys to say, hey, you're going to come out, you're going to play a season, and, yeah, you might have a couple, a game or two left when the draft happens, but you're also going to be able to leave and get into camp if you're an undrafted free agent or you get another opportunity to go back to camp because the season is going to be done. That's huge, in my opinion. I also think starting a little bit earlier, guys are just more game ready. I mean, they're they're – they're not as far out from actually playing football that will give them that, that opportunity to physically be able to go in there and handle, you know, playing obviously full speed again. So that's another area. Um, you know, Bray, your mark, Big 12 commissioners already said, we're going to have more interviews. We're going to have more in-game access. And it's, it's really where I thought last time around the XFL just nailed it. And then they carried that into this time as well of saying, all right, you, me, like Duke Mayweather, Aaron Taylor, Greg McElroy, we're going to watch football. It doesn't matter what, where it is, if it's Arena 2, if it's XFL, if it's NFL, if it's the MAC, if it's SEC, we're going to watch football. We just are. We're diehards. How do we get those other people in that kind of like football, don't have to have football, might want to watch football, but what else? What, and I think you proved that some of that access is a way to grow your game, grow your sport. And I think, Bray, your mark saw that. You know, people want to – they want the curtain peeled back a little bit. We're getting more softball and baseball managers in the dugout. They're, just, they're putting a headset on. You know, Major League Baseball, guys in the field, mic'd up, talking to the announcers. So, I, I just think it's a way to allow people to see things, learn things, hear things that they've never been a part of before. You know, for me, just hearing play calls is still really cool because they're so different in so many places. You know, like you got – you know, you go to USC right now and they're probably running red 20 and you know, you listen to you guys call an offensive play and it's, you know, it's three sentences. 
Um, DC, very short, very easy. San Antonio, very lengthy. Like it's just, it's just different. Like I'm, I love hearing how different it can be different places. Fans have never heard any of it. Right. I mean, I, I've been in a huddle and I've heard it and I still think it's really cool. Um, like I did something this year that I never thought I would have done. So I noticed San Antonio one, one game, their long snapper was the first guy over to the, to the, the tablets every time he would sprint over and he's sitting there like he's freaking dialed in. I'm like, what in the hell is he looking at? Mm-hmm. So I go over there and ask him and he's like, well, I want to see the rotation on the ball. Right. You know, and I want to see, I want to see exactly where, you know, the, the strings end up on the football. And I'm like, nobody knows that. Right. So next time he comes off, like, I'm like, okay, what are you doing over here? He tells me, show me on the tablet what you're looking at. Like, that was something that I learned about the game of football, much less the fans. So there's just so much of that out there that I think it can still grow. And now, too, I mean, the XFL, Jonathan, that can be a guy's career right now. Um, you know, I, I think they're making good enough money to where – they don't have to go work at Winn-Dixie and bag groceries, you know, for the off season. Like they can go work out and get ready for the next season. Now, if there's other things they want to try to do, sure, great, go for it. But, you know, when I was coming out, like arena ball was 200 bucks a game. I'm like, I can't, I, I can't live on that. You know, it's like, I was ready. I was tired of being broke when I got out of college. I was ready to make some money. So I went to work. But now I think it's where, you know, if the NFL doesn't work out. XFL looks really cool. I can go. I can go make a living there. Like that could be my career for a few years, while I maybe explore some other things, and then maybe even get us another shot at the NFL. So, I, spring football is not going anywhere. <laughs> now you got AFLs coming back. Like they're going to do arena ball again. CFL has been around forever. USFL, XFL. Like we've got options, and people are going to watch. And I think when you put it up against, there's so many regular season baseball games. Um, you know, there's so many regular season NBA games. Like, yeah, people are going to watch the finals. People are going to watch the World Series of postseason. But you give me, you know, two or three football games a week compared to all these regular season baseball games. Like when they're up against each other, I'm going to watch the football games. So and I think a lot of other people are, too. Um, so I, I think it's here to stay. It's a great opportunity. It's a great way to make a living now. That's not the NFL, but you're still doing something that you love. And then think about opportunities for guys like you. Right. Coaches, like one other thing I thought that was cool about the XFL is you, know, you, had a, you had this large group of coaches that we had heard of that had been around national championships, Super Bowl, NFL, whatever. But then you had guys like Anthony Beck, who just they just got a shot, and Heinz Ward, they just got a shot. Right. And there's you know, Rod Woodson got a shot. And there's a lot about some of those guys that you see, and like he can do this, like he'd be great at this. And now they've got that opportunity. They've got it on their resume, and they're going to get now they can make adjustments going into year two, alter some things. So the position coaches, you know, the trainers, the strength coaches, even the, the media people behind the scenes that are doing social media and dealing with the media and different things like that. Like it's just a great opportunity for a lot of people. And I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. I thought, you know, Danny and DJ and Redbird Capital did an amazing job. Everything we heard from the players was just the way we're being treated is unbelievable. So, and I know they have the long-term vision, so I, I don't think it's going anywhere. No, there's, I, I totally agree with you. It, you see where guys can make a living and shoot. We're already prepping, getting ready for this next uh, rookie draft. We're looking at guys this morning. I was grading offensive linemen, guys that went to NFL rookie mini camps, got released, that are looking to continue to play. And you can see that it's uh, – it's really year-round football. When the NFL's done, we kicked off. It rolled into the USFL. 
the uh, the Canadian Football League will go up until Thanksgiving. I mean, you have a year-round ball now, and there's an appetite for it. And it's great to see that it's continuing. Guys are, are loving the product on the field. They get a chance to to chase the dream that they love to play. And it, it's, uh, it's really fun to be a part of these leagues and uh, to have the insight, to have guys like you that have played – you're, you're in the hotbed of, of the biggest conference, and I'm learning about the SEC because my son's playing in the SEC right now. <laughs> so it's uh, it's a whole new education for people that are casual fans and then those that are diehard. It's it's really fun to see great uh, great product uh, on TV, and it's awesome to be a part of. And uh, and with that being said, Cole, it is, uh, it is great to have you on, man. Great to have your insight, and I look forward to doing this thing again. And 2024 and uh, hopefully the renegades can pick up right where we left off last year well i'll just educate you on one thing anybody else out there that maybe lives outside the sec footprint people always ask me like what makes it different why is it so much different down there and my recurring answer is we love to hate more than we love to love that's all you need to know about the southeastern conference so there you go there it is i love it man hey appreciate your time and i look forward to catching up soon Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun. And I look forward to seeing you soon.